Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy Friday to you, and thank you for listening to this show, whether it's on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, afterwards, wherever you podcast. Uh, obviously, yesterday's show, we uh, aired at 9 a.m., we replayed at 5 p.m., and by the time by the time we got to the 5 p.m. re-air, we were already uh, a bit outdated because we sort of did a pregame for the day's events inside a Fulton County courthouse totally not expecting Fonnie Willis to, uh, A, testify, and B, unload on attorney after attorney after attorney. And I'm going to be honest with you. The first, what was it, half hour, 45 minutes, hour or so with Ashley Merchant, it was cringy. I was very nervous. And she came in hot. I mean, she came in scorching hot. She was angry. You could tell. I'm going to also tell you that, you know what, in hindsight, I know I've been uh, pretty tough and critical of Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade and the decisions that they had made to uh, either engage in or continue a relationship in the white hot spotlight that they've been in. And I have questioned the hiring of someone that you're involved with. And and the Trump co-defendants attorneys tried to pin down an exact date. And she and Nathan Wade were a little cagey and a little shifty about that. And so the timeline is blurry. But you know what? When you're not married to someone, the timeline is blurry. And it depends on the person you're asking in the relationship as to when a relationship began and ended. That's not... I don't think a defense strategy. I just think that's real life. And we learned a lot about Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade's real life that we didn't know before. And as much as I, again, not a lawyer, but I did watch all nine seasons of Suits. As much as I thought Fonnie Willis in the very early stages was not a good witness in that she was volunteering way more information when asked questions then if I were her attorney, I would have said, too much information. It actually worked in her favor. It set the table for, and, and gave the story, the background, her story, his story, their story, her kid's story, her dad. It gave us the background that we as folks who are just watching and we're just the court of public opinion that we, a lot of us lacked. And so I give her a lot of credit for having had enough watching from her office. And she said, literally running to the courtroom to speak at the end of the day, the only audience she needs to play to is the audience in the judge's chair, an audience of one. Judge Scott McAfee. Now, whether or not her work yesterday won him over, don't know. We may not know for a few more days, maybe a week or more. But her testimony was credible. And I'll be honest with you. When the questions of 
how she repaid Nathan Wade. And, 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 and let, me, let me spell this out. When Nathan Wade testified under oath that a lot of the travel expenses were halved, that he would pay for this and she would pay for that, I found that credible. When he then said that when she did repay him directly, that it was in cash, I got nervous. I did. I got very nervous. Because you're not going to have a paper trail in that realm, right? And so I thought, well, now the onus is on Fonnie Willis to show bank record of her going to an ATM and withdrawing these huge sums of money. Because that's how I'm wired to think. I don't have six months of cash hiding in my condo. <laughs> I have a coin jar. <laughs> I, I may have six minutes of, of money in my condo for anyone who thinks that they're going to break in and get anything. Uh, yeah, but Fonnie Willis clearly detailed to us and enlightened me as a non-black person why there are those who keep sums of money in their house. And after this testimony, I'm literally texting around to folks that I know, my, some, of my, some of my friends from high school and college that I've known for a long time. My, one of my best friends, Sonia, a woman of color, texting her, I'm like, do y'all really keep money in your house like that? And when I say y'all, I don't mean like black women. She just happens to be a black woman who lives with her mother, has two sisters. I'm literally like, do y'all, as, as you guys, your family, do y'all do that? I, you know, I'm today years old when I learned this. I want you to hear what CNN anchor and chief legal analyst Laura Coates said in the aftermath of Fonnie's testifying yesterday. This is explosive. Fonnie Willis is defiant. She is confrontational. And frankly, she is persuasive this afternoon. This entirety of the proceedings, it was very clear that she was gunning to come in and testify. She is angry at the person who has brought these allegations against her. She is insulted by the notion that she is somehow sexually promiscuous. She is very irritated and livid at the fact that she herself feels as though she is being called to task and on trial. Here is the fundamental flaw of the allegations against her. There is no through line yet that has been established between her financial resources, Nathan Wade's financial resources, and how she may or may not have financially benefited. It is as if they are presuming that she started with a zero balance in her account, and only that which came in through this particular indictment is what she has to sustain her life and Nathan Wade. Why is that important? Because they're trying to suggest that she has financially benefited from hiring Nathan Wade and maybe even sustaining the indictment itself. Well, she has gone to clear strengths and clear um, lengths, excuse me, as did Nathan Wade to suggest that there are multiple sources of income. She talks about her private practice in the background, the source of cash in her home and beyond as a way and a means of actually providing for herself. She was very defiant in saying, he never took me anywhere. Mm -hmm. It had a real feel, frankly, of Diana Ross and Mahogany, if you ask me, about the idea of she's been plenty of places, has she not? She talked about Nathan Wade and his own resources and beyond. But I want to just stress to everyone, do you know how fundamentally dangerous it is 
for a, for a prosecutor to have to tell and expose her personal life. Just think of the people that she is confronting, that she is prosecuting. I remember being nine months pregnant and someone saying to me, congratulations, and me saying, I'm not pregnant. That's how private you want to keep your life because every single iota, every morsel you convey to the world can be used against you. You could be sitting there in front of a, jur in front of a jury, in front of a defendant, and now your personal life is on display. How do you think that will be used against you? How can your family now be vulnerable? She's talking about where she keeps her money in her home. Gee, there is a security detail. This is extraordinarily dangerous, which tells you the very high stakes of where she is in this moment, that she is here in this moment. And let's just be very clear. She's not pulling any punches. And I, I tell you, I really don't think that this judge was intending to even force her to testify today. It is very clear that she wanted to testify. She believes she's being lied, lied about. This is all undermining, she believes, her credibility. And look, as Nick Valencia has said multiple times throughout the day today, and we all have, we are not talking about the underlying charges right. against the former president of the United States and 17 other co-defendants, several of whom have already pled guilty. If you are unaware, I'll tell you, Laura Coates, by the way, happens to be an African-American woman herself. And that brings me to my next point. I read an article that came out two days ago that I hadn't had a chance to read yet in the New York Times. Clyde McGrady, Katie Gluck, writing this article. The headline, Why the Case Against Fonnie Willis Feels Familiar to Black Women. The subhead, in interviews, professional women were dismayed by the personal attacks on the Georgia prosecutor, but not surprised. In this article, you hear from Tangela Hollis Palmer, a black 40-year-old attorney from Mississippi, who says she's upset at critics trying, she said, to discredit Miss Willis. At first, she was skeptical of the allegations, but when Miss Willis herself conceded the relationship, Ms. Hollis reserved some disappointment for the prosecutor who should have used, quote, a little more discretion and a little better judgment. She said, we just have to be so careful when we are in these positions to not give people the ammunition to come after us. Scrolling a little further down in the piece, to many, there is something galling about watching Mr. Trump and his allies attack Ms. Willis over a consensual romantic relationship when he has faced accusations of sexual misconduct and assault. Mr. Trump was recently ordered by a Manhattan jury to pay $83.3 million, after all, to the writer E. Jean Carroll for defaming her after she accused him of a decades-old rape. A civil jury also found Mr. Trump liable for sexually abusing Ms. Carroll. Some lamented Ms. Willis' conduct as a mistake. Hey, I'm raising my hands because I'm right there with you. But not one that should remove her from the case against Mr. Trump. Others thinking about their own experience in the workplace suggested another concern. They feel that black women are held to a different standard and that Ms. Willis should have known that her identity, along with the enormous political stakes of the case, would create a white-hot spotlight on her personal conduct. Donna Brazil, I can't sit in judgment of her as a human being, but I can say in terms of her role as a public prosecutor, yeah, she showed bad judgment. She said Ms. Willis faced vitriol and racial animus as a woman of color in a position of power. But Ms. Brazil said some of the attention is to be expected for a high-profile person involved in a high-profile case, especially one that concerns a former president of the United States. She is undergoing a public scrutiny. She's a public official. Comes with the territory, Brazil says. 
The New York Times article then referenced a clip from The View that I'm going to play for you here in a little bit between Ana Navarro, a woman of color, Nicaraguan-American, and Sonny Hostin, who is black and Latina, when they were discussing Fani's foibles, her personal relationship somehow potentially affecting the outcome of the Trump election interference cases. I'm pissed off, too, because when you are, I'm very pissed off, too, because when you are a woman of color in such a high profile position, you know that the scrutiny that's going to befall you is greater than on anybody else. And she needed to have kept her house clean. So, again, the overarching sentiment, when you're a woman of color, a black woman in particular, and you could feel that white hot vitriol coming from the witness stand yesterday. You face a lot of scrutiny, and you don't like being questioned about it, and you develop a thick skin, and when you have to answer for it, well, you might come in a little hot, and she did. All right, so when we come back after a quick little bump here, uh, we're going to review some of the audio from yesterday's testimony. A little later in the show, Georgia Recorder Opinion Columnist, frequent guest of The Ron Show, Jay Bookman, joins us to discuss Fani's testimony, where we go from here, what we can expect today. A few other issues we'll touch on as well. This is The Ron Show. Thank you for listening to The Ron Show, whether it's on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. We appreciate that. We appreciate those who have made it to the 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. slot, too. We do the replay 5 to 6 p.m. And yesterday was one of those days where I should have done a second show, but Funny was still on the stand, and I wasn't about to leave watching that. So we just let the replay happen. A little later in the show, uh, Georgia Recorder opinion columnist, Jay Bookman joins us to discuss that. First, though, let's get a woman's perspective from the Georgia Win List. Executive Director Melita Easters joins us. How are you? I'm great, and it's lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about this important issue. Yeah, same here. So I want to get the perspective of a woman who watched this. Uh, I, I, I've been pretty outspoken on this show. I've been a little scrutinish when it comes to the affairs of Fani and Nathan Wade and their uh, intertwining before, during, after, whatever. But what were your thoughts uh, after this all played out yesterday on the stand? Fani Willis demonstrated a great deal of righteous indignation. And I think that was an appropriate emotion. She correctly reminded the court that she is not on trial. Mm-hmm. Instead, it is those who were indicted by a Fulton grand jury who are on trial. Your office objected to us getting um, Delta records for flights that you may have taken with no, Mr. Wade. I mean, I and, well, no, no, no. Look, I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. This hearing these motions are a part of the Republican playbook for denial, delay, deflection, divert attention. And yes, she was being attacked by the other side, she and Mr. Wade. I thought it was very interesting to see the difference in the reactions to her testimony from different um, groups, Mm -hmm. white men having one reaction, women in general, and particularly women of color having an absolutely 180 degree different reaction. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was very interesting that she brought up Mr. Wade is accustomed to women who 
make him a sandwich and that she and he had brutal arguments about the fact she was his equal. She did not need anything from a man. Yeah. And that wonderful line that will be in many um, social media um, graphics, a man is not a plan, a man <laughs> is a companion. Yeah, yeah. And and you had to identify and, and love the um, comment that she made about the only man who's ever flipped my bills completely is my daddy. Right. I'm frankly looking forward to seeing her father on the stand. Yeah. He must be quite a remarkable man. You would think. To have raised such a strong woman at a time when few men had custody of mm -hmm. children. When you meet my father, he was going to tell you as a woman, you should always have, which I don't have, so let's don't tell him that. You should have at least six months in cash at your house at all times. Now, I don't know why this old black man feels like that. But he does. We're with Melita Easters from the Georgia win list. I feel as if all along the game plan is similar to the Clinton impeachment strategy, which wasn't so much about the sexual act between two consensual adults. It was about trying to trap him in something in the testimony that would get him in trouble. And that's what they did. They got him for perjury, for misremembering or disremembering or not having all of the details right there in front of him. And it seemed like that was the game plan all along. Uh, as this was playing out yesterday, whether it was Nathan Wade on the stand or uh, Fonnie Willis or both. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they definitely want to divert attention by trying to to catch them in something. And I also want to make note of the fact that the witness who claimed to be a close friend of District Attorney Willis, who testified that the relationship began earlier, is someone who resigned from the DA's office in lieu of being fired because of performance issues. Mm -hmm. So that is a witness with real credibility problems. And it's that witness's word against the DA and Mr. Wade. And I believe the two of them came across very credibly on the witness stand. Speaking of tenor and tone, you mentioned earlier, you talked about the divergent opinions on how she portrayed herself and how white men saw it versus women and black women. And I, I said a few times in some social media conversations, anybody who wants to talk about you know, the way she displayed herself, these same folks have nothing to say about the Matlock-style, Southern colloquial white men who use, you know, hit like a scalded dog kind of vernacular. Have you seen some of that too? Well, what you had on the other side, with the exception of the woman who originally filed the complaint, the pile-on lawyers, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. the additional co-defendants who signed on to the original motion, mm -hmm. was the creme de la creme of Atlanta's trial bar. And that skews heavily to older white men. Right. And it reminded me in, in watching it, because I haven't been in a courtroom since my young reporter days, and that was decades ago, but I could see the um, character of trial lawyers from cases I covered as a young reporter in the demeanor of those um, attorneys who represent the co-defendants of the former president mm -hmm. in this matter. And I also want to say, I think, that the, the judge 
was being very circumspect, I believe, in the way he um, dotted his I's and crossed his T's. He showed that he is very mindful of the I's on everything he says and does, Mm -hmm. and he's very careful about perfecting the record. The other thing that I would say is the fact that this hearing was so widely distributed on the national media and and televised has to strike fear in the heart of all those Republicans still capable of clear thought, um, aside from loyalty to the former president, because the if this case goes to trial, it truly will catch national attention in a way that Republicans do not want to see. That's an interesting thought. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back, catch our breath, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the 2024 election cycle. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with this case, but we do have some uh, female candidates. You want to uh, spotlight your slate of candidates. We'll do that with Melita Easters from the Georgia Winless when the Ron Show returns. Welcome back to the Ron Show, and happy weekend to you. Thank you for listening on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. <clears throat> We're on with Melita Easters, Executive Director of the Georgia Win List. The Fonnie Willis case really took a lot of oxygen out of the room yesterday, and I, I can't help but notice that it almost kind of cast a little bit of a, a, a side what would have been like, I think, gobsmacking news that the Hunter Biden case, the one that Republicans have actually not said much about lately, you could sort of sense that that must be falling apart because they've said nothing about it lately. And actually, it I think it fell apart. Don't you think it fell apart yesterday? Oh, absolutely. When you have an indictment for former FBI informant Alexander Smirnoff for making a false statement and creating a false and fictitious record about Hunter Biden, mm. and he was the key witness for all the Republican allegations about Biden corruption. So that is a major story. But when you deflect attention away from that story by focusing on the testimony of Fonnie Willis, Mm. um, Republicans accomplish a goal of delay, deny, defer, deflect, divert. They they like those um, tactics which um, focus away from the failures of their accusations. So when does this all pan out to where this this starts to come together as a puzzle piece and the American public kind of gets it again that uh, you know the economy's in great shape that uh you know the issues that we face with inflation are are, are coming to a head that the case uh, uh the Hunter Biden case has fallen apart. When did this when does the American public focus on that picture instead of well, Joe Biden's an 80-year-old man with a stuttering problem, and we're not comfortable with that. And I admittedly have issues as well with, with the age, because I've seen the difference from him 2016 to now. But still, look at the results. Well, the results are unquestionably far, far better um, than anyone could have predicted three years ago. Mm. And and so the Republicans have to put up these Trojan horse other issues to divert the attention away from the truth of the Biden record, which is quite stellar. Well, that, that's one of the reasons why I launched this show in the in the first place. I don't see a whole lot in the audio space that talks about things from, I, I think, I, I'd like to think from a reality-based point of view, but 
with a left of center perspective. And so here we are. We're with Melita Easter's Georgia Winlist Executive Director. So uh, qualifying for races coming up uh, the first week of March, and you, I'm sure you guys are working on a slate of candidates to uh, to field for some positions. We are, and we are very excited about the financial um, reports, disclosure reports from some of our star candidates. Um, there are a number of women who are going to have strong, strong campaigns against Republican um, incumbents, particularly Republican women who are not supportive of the preservation of reproductive freedom, who are not supportive of a strong public education system, who have not done enough to stem the high rates of infant and maternal mortality in Georgia. So we're going to have some really strong candidates. We're still recruiting for a few key races, but we expect this election cycle to be a strong, strong cycle for women candidates. And we believe that the issue of reproductive freedom and restoring it to pre-row levels, uh, or the, the overturn of row levels, is going to be uh, an issue which suburban women and independent women will side with Democratic candidates. So if there's a woman out there who's had it, she's pissed off, she's deciding I'm going to roll up the sleeves and, and pull a Claire Dunphy, modern family reference, and run for an office and, and would like to reach out to the Georgia win list for some, some advice, some, uh, some tutelage, whatever, how do they go about doing that? They contact M-E-L-I-T-A at G-A-W-I-N-L-I-S-T dot com. Let me know where you live. We'll check the records to see if there is an open or competitive seat near you. Mm -hmm. We have a WIN Leadership Academy, which is a year-long program. Um, we might be able to slide you in. The deadline was this past weekend. But it's a training program that helps you decide what you should run for. And sometimes, you know, people don't run for office. They work in the campaigns of mm -hmm. others. Or sometimes they get themselves appointed to boards. For mm -hmm. example, library boards are suddenly a very <laughs> key place to have strong women right. who are willing to stand up to right-wing bullies who want to ban books. So there are many ways to serve aside from being elected to office. And our leadership training prepares women to take those roles. What a great point, too. School boards and uh, library boards. Who would have thought that that would have been controversial, salacious uh, stuff? Uh, so you uh, also have a Day at the Dome scheduled for March 7th. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the Day at the Dome will be the first time our new WIN Leadership Academy meets. They will have a briefing early in the morning. They will divide up and watch action in the House and the Senate. They'll attend committee hearings that afternoon. Then in the, er, in the late afternoon, the 2023 class will receive their graduation certificates. The 2024 class will be welcomed into the fold. And then there will be a reception with a program, a panel discussion, and perhaps one brief um, keynote speech um, at the freight depot. So it'll be a busy, busy day of activity for our Women in training will have a press conference to announce the first round of early endorsements for the 2024 season. And so it'll be a day celebrating Georgia women on the eve of International Women's Day on Friday, March 8th. 
Let me just tell you, uh, having uh, done this show now for 15 months and followed Georgia politics for a long time, you have to be a proud mama for the the, the women that are in office, in our General Assembly, uh, at the various county and city levels who are doing yeoman's work and fighting the good fight. And that is a credit uh, to you and your organization, the Georgia Winless. Melita Easters, thank you so much for joining us today on The Ron Show. Thank you so much for having me. Georgia Recorder Opinion Columnist Jay Bookman joins us to discuss Fonnie Willis' testimony when The Ron Show returns. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Joining me to discuss Thursday's Fonnie Willis testimony and Nathan Wade as well. I'm sure we can uh, glean some information from that. From the Georgia Recorder Opinion Columnist Jay Bookman. Jay, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I... I'm not going to lie. I started watching yesterday's testimony. And at first, I told myself I wasn't going to watch it. But the minute I heard Nathan Wade was on the stand, I thought, okay, well, I want to hear Nathan Wade's side of the story. And a lot of what we heard didn't surprise us. But Fonnie Willis really opened the door and let us inside her life, his life, their life together, their life as coworkers, their life as friends. And I think we learned a whole lot more than we ever could have gleaned just from press clippings before. Initially, I thought she came in quite hot and may have been uh, perilously walking a tightrope where she could have endangered her case, but I think she actually came away really convincing yesterday. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are very similar. Um, She definitely came in hot. Uh, She she had things she she was going to say, and... Nobody, not the judge, not the uh, defense attorneys, nobody was going to stop her from saying. Yeah. Um, but I think, like you, I think she was very effective. I think what, what if you put her testimony together with that of uh, Wade, uh, we saw a picture of their relationship in which, uh, using Fonnie's own words, she t- described him as somebody who wants to be the dominant person in the relationship. Mm. Uh and she wasn't having any of that. Mm. Uh, she was fierce about protecting her own independence, mm-hmm. and that that was the reason that she was so insistent on paying him back for for half everything. She wasn't going to let you know be dominant person. And, and at, at the end of the her time on stand, she I think referenced the suggested that that tension between them was what finally ended their relationship. So I think a they together those their two accounts were you know dovetailed so i thought it was very uh, convincing a uh, description of their relationship and how it uh, developed and what it meant and on his own demeanor on the on the stand uh, made it pretty clear that yeah she's she's fearful yeah yeah very much so and and i guess we'll we'll learn a little bit more about funny uh if and when her dad's on the stand and i, I don't know i just I, I came away learning so much more about her i mean you could you could tell she was that uh prototypical strong black woman who don't need no man but she literally came on the stand and spelled out exactly why that is and i was uh, uh playing a clip earlier in the show from lauren coates on cnn uh, where she really spelled out why this entire situation has come to be so ludicrous. And listen, for the record, I have said for weeks now uh, that I have been cringing that Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade's relationship, past or prior, current working situationship, whatever it is, uh, has, has been detrimental potentially to the necessity of the country to know the outcome of their cases in Fulton County. But... 
uh, I, I, what, what Lauren Coates said about the, the money situation, I, I have touched on that. Like, it's kind of silly to me to think that Fonnie Willis can't afford her own plane tickets or can't afford her, her, her share of the trip to a, a vineyard in California or uh, a Royal Caribbean cruise. Not pe- people portraying these as lavish vacations. I've been on a Royal Caribbean cruise and I'm not rich. It's not that lavish. Yeah, I think we all have to. Uh, I think it is important to note that it was not wise of Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade to have that relationship. Uh, an employee-er, employee-type romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're taking on Donald Trump and some of the most powerful people in this country, you better have. You better be clean yourself. Yeah. And they were not. And that was foolish. Uh, so the question then arises, is is it foolish to the extent, is it a personally embarrassing, even humiliating, or is it something that rises to the level of necessitating her removal from the case? And I don't think the, the defense attorneys have come anywhere near uh, making that case. It's of removal for re- removal and and maybe in essence this epitomizes the sort of hypocrisy and double standard that not only you can point to conservatives and republicans who have been backing donald trump since 2016 but society on the whole uh we we, we don't have nearly the scrutiny for the former president uh the what thrice married thrice uh twice divorced uh uh, accused of sexual assault and found guilty by a jury of peers of that, forced to pay $83.3 million. A man who on a hot mic said he would, you know, be allowed to grab women in certain spots because they would let him. And yet <laughs> to, to get to the point where we can get to trying this man and his co-defendants for uh, allegedly election interference here in the state of Georgia, we first have to scrutinize the prosecutor for having a consensual romantic relationship with someone that may have been employed before or after they had the relationship. And that, that I just, I just think it's kind of an interesting little nugget of how society throws this double standard. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, uh, they're, they're uh, the same people who are trying to discredit Fonnie Willis for, in, in these instances, say it's no problem for Clarence Thomas to go off on vacations funded uh, by billionaires that hundreds of dollars. I'm glad you said that because I, I've only been looking at this from a, a lens of uh, you know attacking a black woman, but in this case, you can you can even dial it in on the sexism as well because again, Clarence Thomas, we have known for quite a while now. ProPublica has done a fantastic job exposing how he has been uh, cavorting the country and, and, and the planet, really, on these expensive uh, vacations from billionaire pals, has uh, an, an RV <laughs> that has been almost completely paid for by billionaire sugar daddies, uh, had a house that his mother lived in, purchased by someone else, renovated by someone else, and mom still gets to live in it rent-free, and yet the same folks who are scrutinizing Fonnie Willis have nothing to say about that. You mentioned earlier with Trump. I mean, Trump is about to go on trial for um, paying hush money to, uh, and then disguising it in the in the corporate books. I mean, <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah, you know. But but Fonnie Willis better not take it. Uh, let her boyfriend pay for dinner. 
<laughs> yeah, it is hi- uh, hypocrisy. We're with uh, opinion writer Jay Bookman, columnist with the Georgia Recorder. So when Nathan Wade first said, uh, or, or sort of spelled out how they vacationed together and how the money was split up, I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous because he basically told us, you know, if I bought the plane tickets, she'd take care of the excursions. And okay, you can hash that out. And then started talking about the huge sums of money that she would repay him in cash. And that's when I got nervous. I'm not going to lie. Because then I felt as if the onus and the burden was taken off of him to show a paper trail, but now was going to be on Fonnie Willis to cough up bank records showing that she stopped at an ATM to get out $2,500. And then Fonnie gave us the, no, I keep a lot of money in my house or where I live uh, scenario. Now, listen, I'm an almost 50-year-old white man. Uh, Jay Bookman, by the way, is also uh, almost a nearly 50-year-old white man. <laughs> and so and so almost in the other direction <laughs> and so i i maybe i just I, I keep i tell this all the time i keep about six minutes of money in my home not six months and and maybe that's just something that's is that generational is it uh something that i'm just unaware because white people don't do that or did, did that I, seem I, I, I do that personally to a lesser extent uh-huh and okay. and I do exactly what Fonnie Willis described in the stand she says when she goes to Publix and buys her groceries she uh gets fifty dollars extra cash mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. uh, I, I do the same thing uh so it's uh, I thought she was actually quite convincing in that regard and, uh, and I, listen having worked uh, at Publix in college uh, I can tell you having worked cash registers yeah I've, I've seen people do that all the time and thought nothing of it I mean as long as the machine says the money's there then what do I care uh I just never really had much of a thought as to what goes into it now I will say when she mentioned being on vacations when she mentioned going to Aruba for example and having cash on hand it made sense because she's right cash carries you further and for less than a charge card or a debit card would. Yes, I'm, I'm, and her description of her father keeping, insisting that she keep large amounts of cash. Um, you know, if you come from the generation where where uh, bank failures were mm. were a strong cultural memory, where you you know the, the bank shut its doors and you didn't have your, you couldn't get your cash. Uh, I think that echoes through generations, and I think that's what we're seeing here. You've covered Georgia politics for a while now. Uh, you've probably seen a Scott McAfee case come and go here or there. What can you glean, if anything, from his demeanor yesterday? Um, I'm actually, I think he's handled the case pretty well. I'm actually surprised, though, that he let, let, has let it go to this extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how he handles it from here. Mm-hmm. Uh I, again, I can't. I do not see, based on what we have so far, mm-hmm. any grounds for dismissal of uh, uh, dis- disqualification of of Willis in her office yeah. in the prosecution of this case. And see, me being um, a Fulton County resident, I, I feel like if if we're going to have anybody judge her uh, for her actions as a Fulton County uh, employee, the district attorney of Fulton County. I feel like it's the voters of Fulton County should have the final say. And, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports today that, that there may be folks lining up, that Republicans are working on fielding a candidate to take her on, and that there may be primary opposition as well, and that we will get to have that say, perhaps in a primary, uh, and, and if the GOP fields a candidate in November as well. And that's where 
this all comes into play, but not so much as to uh, whether or not she should still serve in her capacity on this high-profile case that she and her staff has worked so hard on, because the conflict of interest part is what I don't get. He's he's not a, an attorney on one of their teams. They're, I don't understand. I've never understood the conflict of interest part. Their attempt to build a conflict of interest case is about the money that they're that they have a conflict of interest because they have a financial interest in this case, in pursuing this case. By pursuing this case, she gets to pay him two hundred fifty dollars an hour. The, the benefits of that uh, come back to her. That is their conflict of interest case, right? And she pointed out how, you know, she's not exactly a poor woman who walked in with uh, without a dime to her name when she ran for office. Uh, in fact, she mentioned having run for office before and having lost $50,000 the first time she tried to run for a, a, a judicial seat. And that, that still haunts her to this day, but that she's not, you know, broke, that she's been a, an attorney, running her own, uh, had her own firm before and has served on a bench before and, uh, again, keeps, you know, large sums of money. Uh, and on her person, more than more than two hundred thousand dollars a year as, as a Fulton DA. True, exactly. Yeah, and, and that and that to me was always a silly part all along. Like, if you're going to tell me that a woman who has a six figure job needs a man to buy her a plane ticket, I mean, come on, that's that's silly talk, right? Yeah, and need, needs to hire that man. To, you know, there's several steps in addition to not just needs a man, but needs to hire that man who she wouldn't ordinarily hire. In a case that she wouldn't ordinarily be pursuing unless mm. she was going to get this financial benefit. That's how flimsy the argument is being presented by the defense. So what is to be said about the amount of money that he made, however? I know he talked about it and how he talked about the law firm that he works for gets this sum of money. But the amount that's being paid, I guess, is where the, the scrutiny might come in, uh, you know, come election time. Well, I, I think most most people who aren't lawyers will agree that lawyers get paid way too much. Uh, I think Fani mentioned in the uh, in her testimony that uh, it, uh, outside lawyers hired by the state attorney general's office are charging a thousand dollars an hour. Mm. She mentioned that um, her predecessor as Fulton DA Paul Howard was paying three hundred seventy five dollars an hour. Well, yeah, but he's a man. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but she says, I have made it, I put a personal limit of $250 an hour. Mm. She, she also, and she also mentioned that uh, Nathan Wade was not her first choice. Mm -hmm. That, uh, and it's been reported that uh, she went, she sought Roy Barnes mm -hmm. to fill that role. Mm -hmm. These other lawyers that she sought first weren't willing to work. For the measly rate of two hundred fifty dollars an hour, mm. I was going to ask if maybe it was just the nature of the case, the high profile nature of the case, and the amount of money, or the well, amount. It of might money. be. I'm yeah. sure that factored in for some of them, I'm no, no, with no question. Yeah. All right. Uh, real quick, so we'll wrap this conversation up. Uh, what What can we expect today? I mean, is is this kind of like anticlimactic today, or do you think that there's more bombshells, or, or, or you know? I think there's more. Um, I've seen legal experts saying that uh, Fani did so well yesterday that there's no reason for her to to expose herself again to cross examination or you know that, that she's dismissed the case more or less handled the case and and she has nothing more to gain by uh, continuing yeah. her testimony. My read of Fani Willis is that she has, still has some more things to say. Oh boy! And she's going to save them. Uh, if you recall from yesterday, she was 
she accused the defense attorneys of lying about her. Yeah. Uh, and she wanted to get into the specific lies told about her. Mm. And the judge said, no, you have to wait till your when your lawyers come up and, and, and cross-examine you. That mm. that's, will be your opportunity to, to make those statements. I didn't even think about the cross-examination part. Oh, my gosh. Let me go get my popcorn popper out now because I think we're going to need it. All right. Jay Bookman, Georgia Recorder, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Ron Show. Uh, good. Have a good morning. You and, do the and, same. Uh, I'll be I'll be watching as well. All right. <laughs> Take <laughs> okay. care, buddy. Yep. Bye-bye. And on that note, we now know that Fonnie Willis is not going to be testifying. Her attorneys nor Trump's uh, de- defense team looking to take any more scrapping with her. So uh, we'll see how the rest of the day unfolds. That already a surprising start to the day. Replay 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. There could be an update today. <laughs> Podcasting wherever you podcast and show notes at RonShowATL.com. All right. Every time's a good Friday and a good weekend. We'll catch you next time we're here. <laughs>